Lord, we come to you asking for your help because we know we need it. We know that the things of the Spirit of God are spiritually discerned. We need the help of the Spirit in order to understand the things of God. And so we ask for that help now. Help us to understand these truths. Help us to see and to clearly perceive the wonder of these truths that you are for us and that you will graciously give us all things. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Romans 8, verses 31 and 32. This is the word of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You can see the two main points of the sermon in your sermon notes. First, God is for us, verse 31. And second, God will give us all things, verse 32. Those will be the two signposts for us to keep in view along the way. And kids, don't forget the key words for kids at the top of the sermon notes there. You can listen for those as you listen to the sermon. The sermon is for you just as it is for your mom and dad and for all the rest of us here. So I encourage you to listen carefully and see what you can learn from God's word. So number one, God is for us. If you look at verse 31, you can see that there are two questions. What then shall we say to these things? And if God is for us, who can be against us? The first one's a normal question. The second one's a rhetorical question. And let's look at each of them in turn. First, Paul asks, what then shall we say to these things? These things refers back at least to the golden chain of salvation, if not to other things before that as well. Well, Let's go ahead and bring that golden chain of salvation to the front of our minds. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then he says, What then shall we say to these things? In other words, what, what then shall we say in response to these things? How should we respond to these things? What sort of conclusions should we draw from these things? Where should these things take us? And then he answers that question with another question, the second question in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? And we'll talk about that second question in a minute. But first, let me just point out that the presence of this first question immediately following the golden chain of salvation I think reminds us of the fact that the truths of verse 29 and 30 call for a response. You have the golden chain of salvation and then you have this question, what then shall we say to these things? These truths, these things 
call for a response. They're not just meant to be understood. They're also meant to be lived out. We're not meant to just examine and admire the golden chain of salvation. God means for us to wear it. God means for us to put it on and have it adorn our character and our lives as Christians. Again, like we thought about last time, these truths are meant to make us humble and thankful and joyful and hopeful. And we're meant to draw the conclusion from them that God is indeed for us and that he will indeed graciously give us all things. Truth is for life. Doctrine is for devotion. Theology is for doxology. The truths of God's word are meant to be applied to our lives. They're meant to go from our heads down into our hearts. And they're meant to produce fruit in our lives for the glory of God. So you don't go to the pharmacy and pick up a prescription and take it home just so it can sit there on your shelf in your medicine cabinet. No, the medicine is meant to be taken, of course. It's meant to be applied to your body. Or you you don't make dinner just so you can all sit around the kitchen table and stare at it. No, the food is meant to be eaten. It's meant to be enjoyed. These truths that are before us are meant to be consumed and digested by us. They're not just supposed to sit there on the shelf or on the table. They're meant to be taken in by faith. They're meant to nourish our faith and to weaken our sin and strengthen our love and multiply our fruit for the good of others and the glory of God. So it's a good question. What then shall we say to these things? It's a question we want to be asking in our own hearts. What would it look like for me to take these medicines? What would it look like for me to eat this food so that I can be spiritually healthy and strong in the Lord? Where should these truths take me? What then shall we say to these things? The inspired answer is if God is for us, who can be against us? That is one implication of the golden chain of salvation. If God is for us in this way, who can be against us? If God is for us, and he is if we are in Christ, if we are united to Christ by faith, if God is for us, who can be against us? That is, who can be against us and win? As David said in Psalm 27, Verses one through three, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Psalm 118, verses 6 and 7. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. 
God is for us. It's important to remember that before we were converted, God was against us. He was opposed to us. And we were opposed to him. We were his enemies. We were not for him. We were not living for him. We were living in sin, which is an offense against him. And though he certainly poured out his common grace on us and was merciful to us in countless ways, he was not for us. He was against us. But now, in Christ, he is for us. Now that he has called us and justified us and adopted us, he looks with favor on us. He smiles upon us. He loves us. He rejoices over us. If you're in Christ, remember this morning, God is no longer against you. He is for you. He is against your sin, to be sure, but he is for you because you are united to his son. And how do we know God is for us? Well, if we look over our shoulder in Romans 8, there's the golden chain of salvation behind us. God foreknew us and predestined us and called us and justified us and will glorify us. And that is overwhelming evidence, incontrovertible evidence that he is for us. But then if we turn and look ahead, if we look in front of us in Romans 8, we have the fact that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. That right there should just remove all doubt forever that God is indeed for us if he gave up his son for us. So both the golden chain of salvation and the giving of his own son show us clearly that God is for us, not against us. Matthew Henry wrote about this. He said, in this, God is for us. He sums up all our privileges. This includes all that God is for us. Not only reconciled to us, and so not against us, but in covenant with us, and so engaged for us. All his attributes for us. All his promises for us. All that he is and has and does is for his people. He performs all things for them. He is for them even when he seems to act against them. Knowing that God is for us can give us great courage and confidence in the Christian life. If we think that God is always against us, we're, we're sort of like a sailor trying to sail with the wind always against him. But if we know the wind is for us, if we know there's a strong and steady gale at our back, then we'll be able to sail forward with courage and confidence. God is for us, not just negatively no longer against us, but positively now for us. All his attributes are for us and all his promises are for us, as Matthew Henry said, and that can put wind in our sails. That can give us courage and confidence in the Christian life. Who can be against us? Who can be against us doesn't mean nobody's going to be against us. Who can be against us means nobody's going to defeat us. 
Nobody's going to be against us and win. Nobody's going to oppose us and succeed. Nobody's going to wage war on us and be victorious over us. And that's simply because God is for us. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that is fashioned against us shall succeed. When our enemies oppose us, they oppose God. Not because we are God, but because God is God, and God is for us by his grace. In the Narnia stories, if you've read them, the Narnians were able to defeat their enemies, not because they were greater than their enemies, but because Aslan was on their side. In the history of Israel, the Israelites were able to defeat their enemies, not because they were stronger than their enemies, but because God was on their side. Sometimes they failed to put their trust in God. Sometimes they sort of said things like, if Egypt is for us, who can be against us? But the reality was, and is for us today, that if God is for us, Nobody can be against us. If Christ is our king, if he has subdued us to himself, then he will rule and defend us. He will restrain and conquer all his and our enemies. Who are our enemies? The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, that is the unbelieving world, as D.A. Carson put it, the moral order in willful and culpable rebellion against God. The world is vanity fair from Pilgrim's Progress, worldly people, worldly values, worldly pleasures, worldly pursuits, and we are bombarded by the world every day. It hawks its wares every time we turn on the TV or check our phone or listen to the radio or even just drive down the road. But we're not to love the world or the things in the world, 1 John 2.15. We're not to be in love with this present world like Demas was in 2 Timothy 4.10. We're not to be conformed to this world, Romans 12.2. And because God is for us, the world cannot come against us and win. We can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. John 16:33. Then there's the flesh, that remnant of corruption in our hearts, that residue of the sinful nature that still reeks in our hearts. And every day we battle with the desires of the flesh. Our flesh throws down the gauntlet every day and does not take a Sabbath rest on Sunday. But we're not to walk according to the flesh. We're to walk according to the spirit, Romans 8, 4. We're to walk by the spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh, Galatians 5, 16. And because God is for us, the flesh cannot come against us and win. It may win some battles, but it cannot win the war. Because those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, Galatians 5.24. And then there's the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Satan, the tempter, the deceiver, the accuser. 
And he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But because God is for us, when we resist the devil in the strength of Christ, he flees from us. Because God is for us, we have the whole armor of God in which and with which we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Because God is for us, the devil cannot come against us and win. The world, the flesh, and the devil do come against us. But since God is for us, they're going to lose because he is faithful to rule us and defend us and restrain and conquer all of those enemies God is for us but there's more verse 32 says that God will give us all things what does that mean God will give us all things let's look at that now under our second main point God will give us all things verse 32 is another rhetorical question and it's an argument from the greater to the lesser from the greater to the lesser Paul writes, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We'll take the two halves of the question in turn. First, Paul says that God the Father, that's he, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The Father gave up his Son for you and me. The Father gave up his Son to make us his sons and daughters. He didn't spare his Son, but gave him up for us. He didn't spare him from death. He didn't spare him from wrath. He didn't spare him from punishment. He didn't spare him from judgment. He didn't spare him a single drop of the full cup of his wrath against all the sins of all his people. He did not spare his own son. As John Murray put it, he did not withhold or lighten one whit of the full toll of judgment executed upon his own well-beloved and only begotten son. He did not spare his son so that he could spare us. It's just unfathomable when you think about it. When you compare us to his son. As someone once put it, it's almost as if he loves us more than he loves his son. If he was willing to give up his son in order to save us. And we know the son was willing to lay down his life for the sheep, but it's amazing that the father was willing to give up his son for the sheep. As we heard earlier in Isaiah 53, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Octavius Winslow said, who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jews for envy but the Father for love. The Father did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all. 
for us all, meaning all those whom he foreknew and predestined and called and justified and will one day glorify. For us all, meaning God's elect as the next verse puts it. He gave him up for us all, for sinners, for rebels, for his enemies. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Romans 5, 10. God and sinners, sinners reconciled, as we sang. When a soldier takes a bullet to save the life of his friend, that is a profound act of love. But what if he takes a bullet to save the life of his enemy? When a good guy in a story or a movie sacrifices himself to save other good guys, we are moved by his act of selflessness and sacrifice. But what about when a good guy sacrifices himself to save the bad guys? The father gave up his son to save us. Not to save the good guys, but to save the bad guys. Not to save his friends, but to save his enemies. Again, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's why we sing amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And if he did that, Paul argues, if he didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Again, this is an argument from the greater to the lesser. The greater is the giving of his son. The lesser is the giving of all other things. If he has given us the greatest gift, surely he will give us all lesser gifts. If he has met our greatest need, surely he will meet all our other needs. We don't have to worry that he won't. An orphan who's been adopted into a loving family has no need to worry about where she's going to get her next meal because her new parents have already gone to great lengths to find her and to adopt her. And if they've already done all that for her, of course they're going to provide for her. If they've already sacrificed so much for her, surely they're going to provide for everything that she needs. God has given us his son. Surely he's going to provide for us everything else we truly need. If he gave us his son when we were his enemies, won't he give us everything else we need now that we are his children? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Notice it says, how will he not also with him, with Christ, along with Christ, graciously give us all things? He doesn't just give us all things. First and foremost, he gives us his son, and then he gives us all things along with his son. He doesn't give us all things apart from Christ. He gives us all things with Christ and in Christ. It's not like he just delivers packages of things to our front door. No, he sends Christ along with them. Christ is the one who carries those packages into 
our home. How will he not also with him, along with Christ, graciously give us all things? He will graciously give us all things. Not because we earn them, not because we deserve them. Our merit is not involved in any way, shape, or form here. He graciously gave us his son and he will graciously give us all things along with his son. He will graciously give us all things. Not all things absolutely, but all things that we truly need. The Lord is our shepherd, therefore we shall not want, we shall not lack anything that is truly good for us. No good thing will he uphold from us. He will work all things together for our good. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. And he will graciously give us all things that we need according to his will. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23 says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. We can count on God. We can rely on God to graciously give us all things we need. Sometimes he sends blessings. Sometimes he sends trials. But always he graciously gives us everything we truly need and we can trust him to make good on that promise. Matthew Henry again wrote, he will with him freely give us all things, all things that he sees to be needful and necessary for us, all good things and more we should not desire. And infinite wisdom shall be the judge whether it be good for us and needful for us or no. What he gives us, he won't give us randomly and haphazardly. Like a boy on a paper route who's just not doing his job very carefully, just tossing newspapers here and there and everywhere. No, what God gives us, he gives us wisely and carefully, more like a mailman delivering specific pieces of mail that are addressed to you personally. Infinite wisdom is behind everything that comes our way, whether it's good or bad. And even if it's bad, By the grace of God, it's for our good because he works all things together for our good and he will graciously give us all things. God will give us exactly what we need in order to glorify and enjoy him. God will give us exactly what we need in order to be made more like his son. He gave us his son. Surely he will give us everything we need to become more like his son. So what did God give you this past week? Many blessings, I'm sure. Many challenges, I'm also sure. There were some smiling providences, but I bet there were also some frowning providences. There was some sunshine, and there were some dark clouds. But everything he sent you 
last week. He sent his son along with it. Everything he sent you last week, he sent graciously. And he will work everything for your good in Christ. And you know what? The same will be true in the week ahead. He is for you, not against you. Everything he will send your way, he will send Christ along with it. Everything he will give you, he will graciously give you. Everything you truly need, he will provide for you. He will graciously give you all things. He gave you his son. He'll give you everything you need to become more like his son. You have the golden chain of salvation around your neck if you're a believer. For knowledge, all the way through to glorification. Surely you can trust him to give you you everything else you need. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank you for giving us your son. You did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, and we thank you. And we pray that you would help us to take in all we've heard this morning from your word. May all these things be like medicines for us and food for our souls, and help us to respond to these truths in our lives by walking in obedience to you, our Father, by the enabling grace of your Spirit. And whatever comes our way today and in the coming week, help us not to forget that it comes ultimately from your hand of providence and it comes with Christ along with it. And it is given to us graciously so that we can become more like Christ. Help us not to forget that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.